This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Yeah, I've been wanting to have this uh, sermon uh, taught for a long time, and you never know the context. So, the interesting thing about today's uh, I guess, um, proceedings is that Don, uh, myself, and Deshaun, we never talk about what we're going to say before we say what we say. So when Don was speaking, talking about this fragrance that God loves and smells the sac- after sacrifice, I was like, wow, that's one point, like God speaking. And then when Deshaun started speaking, he was basically saying the exact same thing. So this is a very important sermon to God which he's confirmed three times, and you'll hear the last confirmation from my message. This is a message for everyone in the building today. There's a lot of people we know who aren't here today. We know um, Dwayne just had to go home because he's felt lightheaded, keep him in prayer. We know Tim and Janet are still wrestling with the after effects of Tim's uh, heart blockage where he had quadruple bypass surgery. Keep him in prayer. We know Christy and Hazel have strep throat, so... So keep them in prayer. And that can go on with other people who are sick, but also we have people who are away on vacation. But God knew who was going to be here today. <laughs> to me, that's one of the most comfor- comforting thoughts I could ever have, that God is in complete control. That's the one thought you have to process in your head, that God is in complete control. Why? So that, so that you don't allow your mind to give yourself an out. Too many people nowadays they always have an out, so they don't have to obey God. It's symptomatic of sin. We, we justify our sinful actions because 
it gives us an out to not obey God. Seeing people do it all the time. The reason why we don't obey God is such and such. But, but this message today is about what destroys that line of reasoning. It's a simple commitment. It's a commitment above all commitments. And if you make this commitment, all the other things kind of fall into place. All the ducks line up. And the commitment is that if you, in your mind, say, I am committed to do what God says unto death. If you're committed to be faithful to God, even if it costs you your life, then everything that precedes that choice, if you ever happen to have to make it, will be light. If you say, I'm going to die for Jesus. Now, a lot of people nowadays say, oh, I'll die for Christ, but they won't do anything to live for him. They won't stand for him when it's time to stand. And I know the people or the person who can't stand for Jesus when it comes to this small situation can't possibly stand for him when it comes to their life. But if you can make that commitment to stand for Jesus, even if it costs you your life, your whole life will line up with God's will. There's a scripture that Paul is talking about. He said, you guys have not stopped sinning because you haven't resisted unto what? Blood. We're not talking about that today. But the principles are saying that if you're willing to bleed, meaning if it costs you something, blood, in order to stop sinning, at that point you've overcome the desire to sin. Because sin basically is a desire to protect the flesh or please the flesh. Like that's sin, pride of life, less of the eye, less of the flesh. Like the sin is basically you are doing what you think you want to do to bring yourself either glory, aspirations, peace without God. That's sin. You're doing it outside of God's will. We live in a culture today that has no thought about yielding to God. It'd be embarrassing nowadays for people in public square, the the public space to talk about, we need to pray to God. Like we say it tongue in cheek, but we say it almost now out of tradition. It's time to pray. We say it on Facebook all the time, right? If something happens tragic in an area, we say pray for that area. But do we really mean pray to the God of heaven, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ? See, I believe my job as a pastor is to equip you to be faithful to God despite how bad times get. Because they do get bad. If you look at the early church, up to the first 250 years, all 10 emperors executed Christians. All of them. And Christians during that day and time had to remain faithful. There was even a term for those people who recanted, who said they didn't want to be Christians at that time. They were called the lapsed. That if it came to a situation where they had to obey and worship Caesar or deny Christ, they would do the first. They would obey or worship Caesar. And then they said, well, then after I do it so I don't get killed, I'll go back and be faithful to Christ. But that's not what God wants. Most people look at the scripture. I think it's the third commandment that says, don't take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And do you know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean you just use his name frivolously. That really means that you have to honor God, the God of heaven, Yahweh, Jehovah, in every situation. You're his ambassador. So taking God's name in vain means not living up to the standard that name has set for you. That's an important point. Because many people compromise. The Bible says it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. We, we do these little compromises thinking at the end we'll be faithful 
not knowing that we have corrupted our character instead of developing it so that we can be faithful to God when times get tough. Because times get tough. I don't care how good of a Christian you are. I don't care if you're not eating, was it NGL or MGL, the, the, the manipulated artificial food, right? I don't care. We can be faithful all day. It doesn't mean that our body still won't break down. We're getting old. We're dying. But yet, the Bible says we live. These are our rental cars. And we're going to turn in this rental car. Some of us have nice cars. Some of us may not have some nice cars. But nevertheless, the cars we have are being turned in. And God's going to look. How did we treat the car? He's going to do the 10-point inspection. He's going to go around the car like, was that scratch there when you got it? He's going to go around and say, look at that tire. Oh, that's a, like, we're going to be inspected how we treat our bodies, our lives. And then we're going to get our true body, our true life. It's a thought that is so outstanding that most of us have trouble even grasping the reality of what's about to come upon us. We are going to live for eternity. Forever. And that should bring us such joy. But from now until that moment is going to determine everything. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going over the book of Revelations that we have the last two, two weeks. And we talked about how Jesus in heaven is talking to these seven churches and which is now today modern day called Turkey. And he's speaking to these churches in that day. It was called Asia Minor. We don't know why he picked these seven churches. Like I said last time, there are hundreds of other churches that are around at this time, but he picked these seven churches. Now, these churches have a very practical perspective that we can look at. They have a prophetic perspective that we may look at here in the future and get on prophecy. But here you have to understand, I believe that all of these churches have issues that are applicable to every single church that would exist from the time of Jesus Christ's resurrection until the end. And to be honest, when we say the word church, what does the word church mean, really, to anybody? The church means the what? Yes. And it means, ecclesia is the called out ones. The church has existed before the day of Pentecost. The church has been here, the called out ones. And there has been a pattern with those people who have been dedicated to Christ from the very beginning until the end of the Bible. That all those people who are the church, God's called out people, are always faithful to God despite how bad it got. Now, we're not saying they were perfect. I mean, if I asked you right now, this is the question I've always wanted to ask. Finally, I remembered it when I was in church. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to me. I have a question. This is our one interactive activity for today. If there's one person in the Bible, and there may be one, that you say, I would want to be that person. I'd want their whole life. Somebody, and this is interactive, I'm not, this isn't rhetorical. One person in the Bible who you would want to be, tell me who that person is and why. I want, their, I want all their life. I want their life. That's exactly how I want to live. That's how I want people to treat me. That's how I want to die. Um, my person would be Paul. And the reason why is because um, uh, after Christ, I see him as suffering and yet still trusting in God. So that's the reason why. Paul. 
So the man of God said he wanted to be Paul. Didn't marry anybody, so bye, Amber. (laughs) Dory, I went there, girl, I went there. He said it, he did that, right? Bye, girl. No, no No kids. Beat it, beat, shipwrecked. He was flogged how many times? Beat, what, 49, was it 39 stripes, save one? Flogged, like, you remember saw the Passion of Christ? Like, I couldn't even fathom going through that one time. The man of God said he go through that three times. Bitten by snakes, poisoned, was in the ocean, almost drowned, rocked, stoned. That's the life he was. Let's give him a hand. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am, Barb. I would like to be Ruth. I once asked God, would you name me? Would you give a different name to me? And he told me it was going to be Ruth. And to me, that means I'm still waiting for my Boaz. He's out there somewhere. So I'm patiently waiting. Amen. Ruth was the one person who could actually blow up this analogy. (laughs) But nevertheless, apropos, anyone else? But the point is, oh, please, Don. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a rebuilder. He came back and helped rebuild the church of that day, uh, the temple. Amen. Amen. So even though, oh, Chris. I'm going to say Peter. And the reason for Peter, Peter kind of is like my life period where I denied God so, God so many times, but he still had faith in me and kept me on that straight and narrow. So I would say Peter. Amen. So if we take a step back and honestly, let's unpack all these people. Does somebody else have their hand up? One more, Adam. And Thor is not in the Bible, just so you know. <laughs> Samson count? Samson, he counts. No, I won't say Samson. Um, I was going <laughs> to say King David. Um, and not because he was a king, but um, because he was a, a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> and um, despite what he went through, he grew up not the best circumstances being a shepherd, but yet God exalted him to a place of um, respect and honor. So, Amen. Give everybody a hand. Now, I'll be honest, everybody had tragedies who was named. Because even though Ruth is an exception, she still lost her husband, right? I mean, she lost all she knew and left her family. She probably never saw her family again, her mobile family, and then had to go to another country and face kind of ridicule with the people who really didn't want her to glean from Boaz's field. I mean, so it still wasn't this perfect scenario, but it ended up really good, right? She got Boaz. Amen. Somebody else, who says something? Uh, Chris said, Peter. Mm. Uh, uh, Peter, maybe. I mean, he got crucified, right? I mean, upside down. I mean, uh, that's still a tough way to go out. But there's one more. Who else? Was this three? Oh, uh, Nehemiah. That's still tough because you're like working for a king, a foreign king, and you have to go back and rebuild. In the middle of you rebuilding the temple, you're fighting off people every day with one hand, and then you're trying to build with the other. I mean, that's complex. I'm not a good multitasker, but you better be a good multitasker. That's all I'm saying about that. 
But nevertheless, we don't really see anybody in the Bible whose life is perfect. Even if we talk about King David, I mean, it seems like King David's life is perfect, but I mean, my goodness, he is a first-degree murderer, an adulterer, right? And he was a sexual addict, I mean, to be honest, he had a tough life. When we look at the Bible, we see everyone have this fight that is normal. I try to say it as dramatic as possible so you can hear it. The fight is normal. But you're not alone. That's why that video was so powerful. The loss we feel, the pain is normal. We live in a world that is so focused on convenience that sometimes I don't think a lot of people even hear God's word because they want to hear it through the filter of convenience. And if it's not convenient, then that ain't God. Our culture is so focused on convenience, they don't understand this is a process that requires sacrifice. We are at war. And the enemy doesn't have to play by the rules. He doesn't. He can attack you at your weakest point. He has, for some of you, the devil has taken his best shot. He knew the one thing that could hurt you the worst. You faced your worst fear. And you're still here. The fact that you're still coming to church despite taking the devil's haymaker is something you should be grateful for because God has not left you. We're going to talk about today about this sacrifice this church is going to make. All these other churches, this is interesting, there are seven churches we're going to talk about, seven, and only two of them get it completely right. Two of the seven. And let me tell you what, I observe a repetition of what they did, both of them, both of the churches suffered. This is tough. I know it. Don't run from this message. Hear my words. The churches that were willing to suffer for Jesus, they received no rebuke, no correction. I know that might not be what you want to hear, but I'm just trying to tell you what it takes to please God. All these churches, these seven churches were specifically picked for a reason. And we have two churches that you would say, these churches are whack. They're small, they're poor, but Jesus basically tells them, well done, good job. And then we have these mega churches that are rich and fabulous and life. And Jesus is like, I have this one thing against you. Do this or this. Today we're going to talk about a church that Jesus said well done too. Today we're going to talk about a church that committed to staying faithful to Jesus regardless of how much it cost. Let me turn this on. Ah, was that me or that was you? Oh, it's a whack. I got this quote by one of my favorite theologians, uh, John Stott. And, and I tr- this is what I'll highlight his name because there are very few, honestly, theologians we could actually read, to be honest. But this is one of the guys who you could read. He's an academic, he's intellectual, and he's sound. So anything with his name on it, I recommend you get 10 times over. He said this, we have to learn to climb the hill called Calvary and from that vantage ground survey all life's tragedies. 
The cross does not solve the problem of suffering, but it supplies the essential perspective from which to look at it. Didn't we just hear the man just say that in the video? He, he plagiarized. I'm joking, but everybody knows this quote because it's one of those important ones, how to deal with suffering. Sometimes we picture God lounging, perhaps dozing in some celestial deck chair while the hungry millions starve to death. It is this terrible character of God which the cross smashes to smithereens. Why is the cross so important? Because Jesus suffered just like you. That's the thing we can't run from. We have a God that created it all and went through it all. So no one can say, God, you don't understand. He's our high priest. He understands our pain. He was there. He felt hopeless. Remember, he's on the cross. He said it. What did he say on the cross? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? But despite how he felt, he remembered how good God was. As you begin to see him, began to quote God's word despite his feelings of hopelessness. He still trusted God despite how bad he felt. He learned and showed us how to fight against our feelings, particularly feelings of defeat, of despair, of hopelessness. Because purposeless pain makes us feel hopeless. But if I could tell you there's always purpose to the pain, then I hope there's a seed that's dropped in your heart. There's a reason for everything that is done in Christ. We know Romans, what, 8, 28, and all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We, we know the scripture. So that even means when you're going through pain, there's a purpose for that pain. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message, this short time I have. Lord God, I pray that you get glory through this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talk, this is a great, whoever did this is amazing. Good job, Greg. Whoever did this is amazing. They came up with this, uh, this video. So understand that this, these seven churches are basically what we call Turkey today. And we talked about Ephesus before. Today we're going to talk about, everybody say this word with me, Smyrna. Thank you. Now, when we say Smyrna, there's a, the Hebrew word for Smyrna is, some people say it's death. Some people say it's bitterness. But there is this herb or that you get or this fragrance you get from a, from a tree. It's called myrrh. When Jesus was born, he was placed in the manger. He received three different elements. Everybody know what those, those elements were? Gold is representative of a what? Of a king. Frankincense is representative of a <laughs> prophet, you can say. But myrrh is representative of death. When Jesus Christ died, his body was wrapped in, it was in his, like, in his, the death clothes, you know, what they put around people die. But he was, he was embalmed, he was anointed with myrrh. Myrrh is a healing balm. But also, when Jesus comes back, I think it's in uh, Isaiah chapter 60 or 61, do you know when Jesus is in the millennial reign, do you know he's going to receive two elements and not three? Can anyone guess what those two elements are, not three? Somebody? Gold 
and frankincense, but not myrrh. Because he didn't have to suffer anymore. He's not going to die again. Everybody get that? This myrrh comes from a tree. And do you know how you get this fragrance? You, you go to the tree and you have to scar the tree. That's how you get this element. You, you wound the tree. And the tree begins to bleed. And a sap comes out of the tree. And the sap rolls down the tree and it hardens. And the sap becomes like a, uh, a gum. Really hard substance. Very hard. Now, it's still not useful for you because there's no fragrance in it yet. But after it's hardened, you'll take it, you'll put it in like maybe a little bag, and you'll take an instrument and you'll beat it. Oh, I know you don't like it. Neither do I. But you at least understand where I'm going with it. You beat it. And only after it's crushed does it emanate a fragrance. Now, thankfully, Don talked about that before I even got up here. That sacrifice produces a fragrance that's pleasing to the Lord. Everybody get at least where I'm at. That I know, I know you don't like, I see all of y'all, every, everybody did this. <laughs> body, um, language communication is 93% body language, they say. So right now you're on defense, I got it. But at least you hear what I'm saying. God's looking to be pleased The first church, Ephesus. Ephesus means desired. It's what we all desire, but Jesus said, you've lost your first love. Come back. This church is small and poor, and it's in this, basically, this great place. I mean, I can't tell you how many great things happen to this major city. You see, there's a port there, two ports, actually. It's rich. Alexander actually rebuilt it as well. This church, this area is still alive and vibrant to this day. It's beautiful. But at this place, this small church was there. And something had to happen for them to be okay in the community. There was a social faux pas that they could not do. See, this is the place where emperor worship started. Where Caesar worship started. And in order to worship Caesar, you had to come publicly, take this little fragrance, and put it in the fire. And if you just did something as simple as a sign of worship or obedience or obeisance, whatever you want to say to Caesar, you were okay. And this little small church and this big community said, you know what? We're not going to do this. And because they wouldn't do this simple act, throwing something like incense on fire, as a sign of reverence and honor to Caesar, they began to be persecuted. Not only that, but they were ostracized from the community because the church made a commitment to only worship Christ alone. They did not compromise. They would not compromise. And because they would not, they did not compromise, Jesus said, well done. They could take any hot issue. For instance, today, we could talk about race or abortion or gay marriage or any political hot button. Whatever it is, their hot button was worship of Caesar. And they said, we as a church 
are putting our flag here. And despite what it costs, we're not going to compromise. And they did not compromise. And let's see what happened when Jesus responds to their behavior. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. And once again, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. And remember, the angel is not Michael or, or Gabriel. The angel here is the pastor of the church. Write these things. Say, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, in all of these seven churches, Jesus gives himself a different title to correspond to the challenge the church was facing. Isn't it apropos that the title Jesus gives himself here is this? The first and last who was dead and came to life. Why? Because this church is about to be persecuted. And many of them are about to die. But the hope they have, the commitment they made, is based on this hope right here that we all have, that just as Jesus came to life from the dead, we too will come to life from the dead. That when we close our eyes here in this life or take our last breath, that's not the last time we'll see or hear or feel. That when we die, it's just not eternity we enter. We, don't, we no longer exist. We still exist. And my hope is you understand today that that's always been the way it's been until naturalism became the way to think on the planet. And even though now naturalism is falling down completely as a philosophy, we're not going to replace it with ancient thought. We're going to try to do something new, which is really more naturalism, just hyper-naturalism. But the point I'm trying to make is Jesus introduced himself as the one who came to life. And he says this, I know your works. Jesus knows us. He knows everything this church is doing and trying to do. He knows it. Jesus is trying to get us to continue to do the things that we want to do for his glory. Now understand the church in Ephesus were fighting really hard. They were doing a great job keeping out false doctrine. They were having a great ministry. They were working, but they lost their first love. This church has no chance to do ministry. They're just trying to survive because they made a commitment to not acquiesce, to not capitulate to not surrender to cultural pressures to worship Caesar. They said, I'll be faithful until the end. And he goes on to say, and your poverty. Why are they poor? Because they're losing their jobs. They're getting kicked out of their jobs because their stance. But Jesus says this, but you're rich. Isn't that interesting? This church is some small church meeting in a school probably. Probably have to tear down every week and put up. They don't have the ability to market. They don't have a good kids area. They don't have air condition. And Jesus said, I know you're poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. You have to understand these Judaizers were going around trying to convert people who were turning to Christianity, worshiping the Messiah, into Jews. And this was a fight that Paul was having until the day he died. He's like, I know, I know them. He said, I know them. Those are blasphemy. And why are they blasphemy? Because they're rejecting the Messiah, which is blasphemy. Paul said, I was a blasphemer before I was saved because he rejected the Messiah. 
Here he said, I, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He's like, it's Satan. Satan is sending those people out to try to get you to follow any of those things which are about to suffer. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, this is where I want to have a conversation. Jesus himself, this is where I will blow out any theology that didn't line up with this. Jesus said they're about to suffer. Can they pray and not suffer? Can they speak it and not suffer? Can they shout and not suffer? Can they read a bunch of scriptures and not? No. Let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to suffer. Now, people don't like to hear that because they want to be, oh, I'm a Christian and therefore I have faith. I have enough faith so I don't have to suffer. Jesus just said you're going to suffer. Now, what do you need to do? You need to prepare yourself to remain faithful despite what's coming. There's no way of getting around this. The only way they stop suffering is to compromise, to put that little incense on the, on the fire altar of Caesar. And they say, all I got to do this one time. If I just do it one time, I'll be okay. They'll leave me alone. If I just do it one time and I'm okay, I can live a peaceful and happy life. Jesus said, he's, this is his word, do not fear. Because the Bible says, no coward will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a scripture here that highlights one point that's said over and over in the Bible. To be honest, it said 360, how many days of the year are there? Five days, six days in the year, four days, however many days. We're confused, who knows? This one saying is said over and over in the Bible, 365 times. What is it? Say it again. Say it a little bit louder. Do not fear. One for every day. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear is not a reason, a platform to make a decision. Not if you're in Christ. We don't make decisions out of fear. We make them out of faith, out of love. Because perfect love does what? And like the first church, if you don't love God, you're going to compromise. And if you're wrestling with fear, the issue is love. You need to love God more. If a car was coming about to hit my daughter right now, you know what I would do? I would jump in front of that car, throw her out the way, and get hit, run over dead. Right? At that moment, I'm not thinking about getting hit. I'm thinking about her living. That's right, baby. Smile, because I die for you. I would die for you. Right? <laughs> but any dad would do that. You do for anybody you love. Because when you love somebody, you're going to respond out of love. But if I see that car come, like, oh no, watch out! Oh, <laughs> that means I didn't love her. Right? There's a car coming to this church, and Jesus is in the middle of the road. And they have to save him, save his name. His reputation is at stake. And when you capitulate and compromise, you blaspheme, you make his name less. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Isn't that interesting? They're not tested before. They're tested once they're in prison. 
Once they're in the battle, then the test comes or the temptation comes. To what? To compromise. And you will have tribulation. This word thalipsis is the word that revolutionized my life. Because what this word did was this. And Adam, you can come up. I didn't even get to the points today. <laughs> but I did it for Greg. I pulled it off for Greg. Because his brain was, he was talking too loud. When is he going to get to the communion? We're about, to prepare, we're about to prepare for communion. But this word thalipsis is important. Why? Because this is the word that means that trains you into maturity. We're all born God's children, but only sons and daughters are the mature ones who receive the inheritance. And the only way to become a mature Christian is to go through thalipsis, tribulation. It says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That word crown is a reward. It's not the crown that sits on your head. It's this like, like gold medal saying, you won here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You have to understand, God is always speaking, but why don't we hear him? It's the condition of our hearts. That's why we don't hear him. he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death the second death is the only death we need to worry about either you're born once oh let me try that again either you're born twice and die once or you're born once and die twice This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I am breathing